Hi guys and welcome to another edition of the Grumpy Metalheads podcast. I'm joined as ever by Shrubs666. How you doing my friend? Doing good. I'm doing good for Wednesday evening. Indeed and we have two great guests for you today. We've got Steve and Nina from Blood Countess, also known as Istvan. Am I saying that correctly Steve? That's correct. And we have the Countess as well. So these are two people from Blood Countess, a band from the UK. Um, they are a black metal band and they are focused exclusively on the Blood Countess Elizabeth Bathory. How are you doing, guys? Doing yeah, we're good. all good. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Now, I think my first question has to be, why did you decide that uh, Bathory would be uh, some amazing subject matter for your band? Okay, so um, when I first got into metal, my favourite band was, and still is to this day, Crazy Little Filth, and particularly the album Cruelty and the Beast, which was focused around Elizabeth Bathory. And since then, I've uh, had this like great interest in finding out about her and you know all the history behind it, and um, and I've been like pretty much obsessed since. And must have been a teenager. I've always wanted to uh, create a band so I could just bring it a bit more to light. Talk about the concept, about everything that went on. And because obviously um, I've been in bands before, but I've never done a band that I was really sort of, that really explored everything I wanted to. So I created Blood Countess and so I could do the metal that I wanted, which was black metal, and the subject that I wanted, which was the blood countess so before we get on to the um album a little bit later in the podcast i wonder if we could explore um who elizabeth bathory was and then i wonder if you could say a little bit about the uh the historical bathory and then the the kind of the fictionalized bathory as well and where you kind of sit in relation to how you think she actually was bathory was a countess and it's still not known to this day if it's facts or fiction, what she did. I tortured virgins to drain blood so she could retain eternal youth. She was very obsessed about how she looked and she wanted to be young forever. She didn't want to age. She wanted to be beautiful and healthy. And therefore, she used to just go on the lookout for young girls that she could kill and torture drain blood and bathe in their blood so she could be eternally beautiful and uh yeah she would never age what i think i like to believe it's true even though i know it probably isn't <laughs> because it uh, it really makes me uh write some good lyrics around it but maybe it isn't true but i don't want to think about that <laughs> i just yeah. want to believe it's True, but obviously over time, things will have been, maybe the truth will have been stretched through stories told yeah. over the, the centuries and for good reason, really. Yeah, yeah. It more yeah I think I think there's a, a good reason that um, that those stories have survived. I mean, it might be, you know, to, to scare children into behaving, that 
into uh, scaring adults um, into yeah. behaving as well. I think that the story is fascinating. And uh, which of the stories around Bathory do you find, I don't know, the most metal? Just like the torturing for me and also the sexual sort of sides to it as well. There's a lot of uh, sex involved within her life. She was okay with men and women. So um, that is where a lot of the concepts for the lyrics come from. Mm-hmm. The torture and the sadistic side of her as well. And when you're thinking about Bathory where, and you read on all the stories, do, do the lyrics just come to you straight away or do you have to spend a lot of time with the material to kind of to kind of let them just stay? So I think the, the, the way that this album in particular was written or the way that you've written the lyrics on this one was almost as in playing the part of the Countess. So it's so, so the concept is from kind of mostly from her point of view, not all of it, but largely it's from that perspective of being the Countess herself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's therefore, that's how we built the story. So it's almost as if you're playing that role mm-hmm. when you're singing, yeah. which I think give it a different feel to other bands that have covered Bathory, for example. Yeah, because um, it's always from the outside perspective. So this is it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that, that you write it from the perspective. Um, a lot of it, definitely. Yeah, so I think a lot of people have vilified her for the things that she's done. Have you got any other emotions around it, like sadness around it or inspiration around it or anything like that? Uh, when uh, we basically, uh, well, I, because obviously I wrote all the lyrics, I personally like glorify her within the album. Like Steve said, I pretend that I'm her when I'm singing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's like as if I'm what she's saying, I'm saying for her. I think the way it relates a lot to anyone who, say, reads the lyrics with the album, a bit like any horror film or horror story, even though the person, the main person in the film is, is killing people, doing whatever they're doing, people, you you find a relation to that person and you somehow like them, even though they're doing horrible things. I think that's similar what you would get from a horror story, a book or a film, and how you would relate to that. It's a similar nature. You can sympathise with the person doing these things somehow, even though they're Kind of like the anti-hero, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you you can glorify this this horrific person somehow. It's interesting. In, yeah, and I think I was reading about um, Bathory again today for um, a refresher. And from her youth, you can see how she would have ended up with these kind of thoughts. Like there were rumours that she had a child that was taken off her and castrated and then fed to the dogs and like being locked up in castles all her life and having epilepsy that was treated with blood from non-sufferers. So she was around this kind of stuff and kind of in order to survive, made it her own and, and, and ran with it and then ultimately became infamous for it at the same time. And I think right. where she ended up effectively bricked up in the castle, you can see how she was this mystical figure, like on the hillside, that created all this mythology around her as well. Mm. I like it; just must be such a fertile source for lyrics. It is. I mean, obviously, lots of bands have 
covered Bathory in different ways over the years, including Cradlefield, who did a whole album about it. But, um, you know, there's, there's so much you can go into. And obviously there's the ties with Transylvania and therefore the ties with Dracula and all sorts of things that you can link into all of that mythology. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just a great subject, especially for black metal. Oh, for sure. Um, so I wonder if we could um, move on to discussing um, the album now. Could you guys just tell me exactly how to say the album title? Yeah, it's Occult <laughs> 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 of Tenebris. Well, and that came out in um, April 22. When did the idea for this album first start to form? Yeah, I mean, really, the, the ideas formed when the band formed, but like any band, you know, a band does a few songs and does a demo until, you know, you find your feet and then eventually start working on what would be the album. So mm. you can probably elaborate on that a little bit more. It was around about the actual album itself. It was about 2020, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, it was really it? during the pandemic, yeah, to be honest. When, when no one had anything else to do, really. just That's right. It was an ideal time to to knuckle down and get something done, basically. And uh, it just happened during that whole yeah, and year, basically. Yeah, it took us about two years. It probably only really took about a year. Mm. And then just little Back bits and, and forth, bobs yeah. at the end, you know. Um, the bulk of it was done during that 2020 sort of lockdown kind of yeah. period, if you like. And what was your process um, for putting the album together? Did um, did lyrics come first? Did the music come first? Did it depend on the song? The music came first. Yeah, yeah mostly the music yeah. came first. You know, some things, obviously things get changed along the way as things progress, but for the bulk part, the, the, the music was written and the lyrics written to suit the songs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Shrubs, have you got any um, questions at this point? Uh, now, obviously, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the album. I, we've only just come across it because friends of ours saw you at Reaper Fest and, and oh, recommended, yeah. re- recommended you guys to us. And, and so that's why we've checked you out and then obviously brought you on here. So, yeah, I've, I've probably been loving the album. The, the second track, Ad Alter Sanguinem, which I, I looked up the translation for, and I hope you can correct me on this. It's either Blood at the Altar or Altar of Blood. I'm not sure which one you decided it was going to be. But that track was one of the standout ones for me. Well, it it blew me away. I I had to keep going back to that track. Hmm. I probably said it, I think I said it on the the podcast the other day as well, um, that that was one of the standout tracks for me. What's the standout track for you on that album? Do you have one that you love playing live and and love performing and writing, or have you fallen out of love with all of you them now? Yeah, it's um, it's difficult because there's something. I mean, obviously, we we feel a bit stronger about the album because we wrote it, but there's something totally different about every single track on there to me. But a lot of people do point that track out as one of the standouts on the album and. I would lean towards that track, although I might change my mind if you ask me again, so it's hard to say, but we can go with that as my favourite. I think it's there's something different about it, and I can't put my finger on why or what it is, whether it's the pace of it or some of the extra melodies that are in hidden in the riffs, but something about that track stands out, and I can understand why you would uh, like that one in particular. 
same with me. Um, it is that one. I love Farrah Sanguinem. Although I would say on par, there is that Ferenc Nadasti too, which is the penultimate song it on is. the album, yeah. yeah. Which I really, really enjoy playing live. Now, strangely enough, each of the times that I've listened to this album through, I think it's like four or five now, um, one of the most powerful songs, I mean, would you call this one a song? But song five, Screams Over Carpathia. <laughs> Yeah. I, I found it like so powerful and mm. as I was listening through I'd be like okay so there's this like s- scream that comes like from the stomach I'm like, okay it's still going it should have ended there uh, and then the next scream it becomes even bigger <laughs> and then I thought, okay it's, it's gonna end there uh, and then another huge scream and then it like it, and it just carries on and it builds and it builds and it builds and then the scream at the end it's kind of like I don't know it becomes something else and it, it just really captured my imagination <laughs> One, like, what made you put that into the middle of the album? And two, I just wondered if you could go into, like, how you recorded that, because there is some interesting noises on there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I think from my point of view, particularly being into a lot of 90s black metal, it's, it's the era from when I got into the music. It was quite typical for a band to have a track on an album that was some sort of interlude or instrumental or theatrical piece, not uncommon in most 90s albums. And because a lot of a lot of it was quite gothic and horror themed, you know, in, in that era, which is the sort of style we were aiming to kind of not mimic as such, but a lot of influence from. So I really wanted to create like an atmospheric piece. You know, we're not an atmospheric band in that we don't use keyboards and things like that, but uh, or maybe sparingly, but I wanted to create something that built up an atmosphere and had that horror vibe going on with without hopefully sounding too cheesy. You know, I really wanted to make it quite horrible to listen to, but something that draws you in at the same time. It was quite a lot of fun to create because... I just kept layering things on sounds and 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 obviously the synth track just keep layering things until I thought it was enough. Then I added more and more, and then it just turned into this kind of like well, what what you're describing just this massive screams and sounds and yeah, I'm quite quite pleased with it actually. And were all of the, those noises um, on the track were they? recorded by you guys or did you use um samples um if it's okay to say yeah um a bit of a mixture i don't actually think i could tell you where every sound came from bits from here and there let's say <laughs> um <laughs> a create, Accumulate yeah an accumulation <laughs> of, of sounds and uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay let's um leave that there so <laughs> now the, uh, the Carpathian Forest seems to have captured people's imagination. The whole scenery of, yeah. you know, the Transylvanian countryside and everything um, seems to have just been um, one of the most inspirational things for many of the songs around Bathory. Have you guys been there? And how important is 
at Carpathian Forest for this album. We haven't been there, unfortunately. It was mm. on our list to go to, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but Kitsikta Castle, which yeah. is um, where Elizabeth Bathory died. And the pandemic obviously took that away from us. So, uh, so we were going to go there. We were going to collect some sort of sample around the castle that we could put in a little box set that we was going to do for the release. So some sort of soil yeah, so we were going to put it in a little bottle and and that was going to be as part of a very limited edition box set to come out with Occult of Tenebris. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to do this, but it's still on the cards. In the process of writing it, do you find that you have to go into the environment that you um, are going to sing about, make music about, or is it quite easy to put yourself in that space uh, and just allow the music to flow out of you? I think both are true. Obviously, we weren't able to. It would have been amazing to go there and, you know, experience it and understand what it felt like being there. And that would have obviously had a different input to the, the music. But, you know, maybe we can do that for the next one. So, yeah, yeah. that'd know. be cool. Shrubs, have you got any questions at this point, my friend? Yeah, you've just mentioned the, like the next one. I, I take it there are plans for for the next one because I noticed the last track on the album was basically the date of her, de her, yeah. her death, and I was just wondering whether that was meant to be the end of it uh, as just a one-off single project, or were, are there definitely more albums in the pipeline? Yeah, there is definitely more albums in the pipeline. In fact, a lot of the music has already been written for album number two. Yeah. Concept, we were like talking about, should it stay the same or should it be a, a long sort of female serial killers of the past? We've not decided yet. Okay, that's going to be really interesting to see which way um, you go on that. On the album, which of the songs was the most difficult to put together? Which did you have to wrestle with the most? Or which sounds completely different now to how um, the first ideas came about? And then on the other side of things, which of the songs just kind of fell into place, if any? I can answer that fairly easily. The final track... 21, 8, 16, 14. Should know that easily. Um, <laughs> the final track was probably the hardest one to put together. It's somewhat of a ballad. different to all of the other tracks on the album although not out of place I don't think yes I agree. Um, it was a track that I was seeking utter perfection on and anyone who's ever tried to create an album knows that's basically impossible there will always be something you hate or don't like but then mm. years later you realize it was actually great um, and that one was one that I struggled with we went back a lot didn't we to make sure it was yeah we did it was right and we wanted to it point, to be perfect to the point that we were thinking about scrapping it yeah we nearly scrapped point, it yeah. but thankfully it turned out perfectly yeah. I think and, and uh, good end track yeah yeah 
On the flip side of that, like you were saying, I would say the track Ululation of the Grief-Stricken Peasants. We had another track before that one that was going to be on the album, which was scrapped, will probably be reused at a later date when we find something better to do with it. And thus the album was a bit short. So that track just came out of nowhere, basically. Yeah, it it just came in a matter of weeks from start together. to finish recorded in one hit yeah yeah <laughs> so that one just developed from nothing i wonder if we can um delve into the story behind the song orgasm leading to death <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? It's uh, quite a title. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, as I m mentioned before, it was um, delving into her sort of sexual life as well. And obviously, she was very sadistic, she was into torture. And uh, that song is about virgin virgins being tortured. And as they reach the climax, then that's it. They're dead. And it's got a bit of torture, a bit of sex, and then eventually, essentially to get blood out of the virgins to, to basically do what the job that they needed to, to be. Basically, what she wanted was blood. And how she got it was through torture, sex, and the end job was death. And I think uh, it would be cool to ask about, because um, obviously you wrote all the lyrics, did you share Steve's experience um, with the most difficult songs and the easiest songs, or did you have um, lyrics that went together easier on a particular song um, or lyrics that you found particularly difficult on another one? Uh, I think everything was quite easy for me because I listened to the song and then I sort of worked my lyrics to fit the song. And I usually come up with a title and then I work from the title onwards. So for me, that song that was very 90s, it was kind of like old school dark funeral for me. And that is how I built the, the song title first mm -hmm. and then everything to match. Steve, I mean, according to Metal Archives now, you can't always trust everything that's on Metal Archives, but you're <laughs> in seven active bands right now. <laughs> how, how do you compartmentalize and write for each one of those bands and ensure that they don't cross over too much and still have their yeah. own. That must be difficult. <laughs> it, there are some moments where I might write a guitar riff and then think, which band does this suit best or which project does this suit best? But I've found mostly when I'm writing something, I'm writing it with a particular project in mind. And I don't know how, but somehow the style is different. I think people who are familiar with the projects I'm in will probably obviously find some similarities in the way I write riffs, perhaps. I don't know. But um, so far, I, don't, I think everything's kind of different enough in each project. You know, different guitar tunings, di different speeds. I find using different tempos for different bands, you have a set sort of, sort of, group of tempos usually you would write songs in and they kind of 
make the riff sound different, make the way you write a riff different. It's hard to pinpoint exactly, but I'd, I think you you could tell what riff would go in what band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it can and, be interesting sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and as someone who you, you've you've you're producing, you're a producer as well, aren't you, Steve? I mean, I wouldn't class myself as a producer in that I have no technical skill in it other than what I've just learned myself. Okay. Um, but obviously I've done enough to know what I'm doing. So, you know, I would never I would never produce anybody else's work. Let's put it that way. I'm happy doing my own things. So we did um, a podcast with a black metal band over in um, America called Blackbread. Oh, and- yeah. He really struggled with the the idea of perfectionism and his mm-hmm. method of escaping that was to tell the person that was producing just to make me just do a take and then we'll do that and then we'll work it. And if it's not working, we'll sort it out later. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, perfectionism earlier. What is your process to get around that so the album doesn't take, you know, 17 <clears throat> years to make? <laughs> uh, I do have a very easy answer for that. And that's that I think that my personal, obviously everyone has a different opinion, but I think black metal is most perfect when it's not perfect. Unless I totally botch a guitar take, I will leave it. I don't tend to redo takes often. You have to sometimes, but I'm a firm believer in leaving the sort of natural mistakes that may occur throughout a take in the track and mm. no I don't think there's anything particularly audible that's wrong or any mistakes anyone would hear but it makes it easier for me I would say quality control is more about the songwriting than the playing for me unless it's played really badly yeah. um, in which case you've just got to do it again but I, I like leaving things and then the more you listen to the track and you accept something and you go then, you, then it becomes part of the song so that's my take on it. Kind of leaves yeah. it to feel more organic, doesn't it, rather than... Exactly. Math. Yeah, I very rarely sit and agonise over a particular part. I will just get it as good as I can. And so far, I think it's been good enough. So, <laughs> um, I think some um, black metal sounds like it's um, a tin of wasps that have been um, shook near a microphone what did you want the album to sound like in terms of production quality and do you think you achieved that yeah I think the way it came out is exactly what I wanted I'm not I do like a lot of the very raw stuff but it's not the sound I would have aimed for but I also don't want anything too polished it's got to have it's got to have some real character to it if it gets too clinical for me I lose interest. So a lot of modern bands, modern behemoth, for example, excellent musicians, probably write brilliant albums, but for me, it's just too good. And that for me loses something. I like things to be rough and ready, but not terrible to listen to, basically. So some balance between the two is where I'm looking for down the middle. Raw, but not too raw. And definitely not over polished, but audible <laughs> you yeah. know everything's got it's got it's got to sound good yeah how, how have the uh, the uk black metal cult responded to the album so far a lot better than we anticipated i mean yeah. we did 
you know, we did think we'd written a good album. We were very pleased with it, mm. very confident in it. But you just never know if it's just going to be totally ignored or if no one's going to care. But the opposite, you know. Yeah, because there is so many good bands around and so many bands that are constantly putting out releases and you think, is mine just going to fall by the wayside? Yeah. And that, what, that is what we were worried about. Obviously, like Steve said, we were confident that the album was good and it would get, like you know, a good sort of reception from the fans out there, but we didn't expect it to go as well as it did. So it's a bit overwhelming, like, yeah. which is good. Absolutely. And um, the reason that we initially messaged for you guys to come onto the podcast is that um, four separate friends um, were at a, a particular festival um, and we asked them, like, what was the highlight of said festival with some really big black metal bands and, and they all mm. mentioned Blood Countess. So how difficult was it to take the album to the stage and to the, the live performances? How much do you give to that? Are you guys um, a band that will just let the music do the talking or is there a, a stage show as well? I would say it's all like really natural. We sort of never like rehearsed how we're going to be once we hit the stage. All I've always wanted is for like the, the guys in my band to go out there and do the best they can do, but also have fun and have a good time. Yes. Just be natural, don't feel like as if they need to act. Like I I put on a, a show because that's how I feel I should perform. Nothing is uh, staged. It's just all natural, What, however... I am, how I perform, how I interact with the crowd. And that is just uh, how I expect the guys to be as well. And we've been really lucky to find some musicians that are excellent. And um, therefore, when I hit the stage, I'm never worried about their abilities. I'm totally confident that everyone is going to do the best they can. Uh, who, who else do you have in the band? And is there a few words you'd like to say about them? Yeah, so obviously we started writing the album the two of us in the pandemic, but we always knew we needed to bring it live. It's a band that had to be live. So, you know, we know a lot of people in within the scene, thankfully, but the, the, the first guy to join the, the current lineup, quite miraculously, we found him in our hometown, which is Darlington, which nobody even really knows where it is. It's pretty <laughs> off the map for most people. And look, and I knew this drummer, from a few years ago, really young guy. And I thought maybe he'd be interested. And he was, and he's um, phenomenal. I, you wouldn't think, you know, if you went to London or Manchester, maybe you would find someone like this, but not not here. And uh, lo and behold, he was he wanted to do it. And uh, so we got him straight away. And he's, he's, I have to probably say, he's the best drummer I've ever played with. He's so good. How else did we work then? Tom joined us on bass. There's a band um, from Yorkshire, uh, well, York specifically called Sellsword, a power metal band. Odd choice of place to go, but um, yeah, but uh, he's um, he's a great bass player and likes his black metal. So we were speaking on the internet and he expressed an interest in joining the band. So he joined. And then Dan, lastly, he has a, he has another project that you should check out called Tyrant, if you haven't yet. And uh, yeah, we just again, you know, you speak to these people because we know them from gigs from other bands in the past or other situations. And he was eager to join. But basically, um, 
we met on Skype. We didn't meet, we met in person, obviously, but we, we just met on Skype and had a bit of a play around with some guitar riffs. And I sent them the demos I'd been making for the album. Obviously, eventually, when things were allowed to be as they are now, we met up, practiced, and the guys just knew everything. Yeah. They'd learned the entire album yeah. <laughs> just from demo mixes and me explaining a few chord patterns and we were able to play the album almost instantly yeah. which was miraculous I'd, you could never have expected something to work that way but it did that's, yeah. that's insane shrubs anything it, to add about that was insane really yeah, was still is yeah <laughs> no because I, I obviously i noticed that you'd done all the recording yourselves the pair of you and then yeah Notice now that you have got that full lineup, and that was what I was going to yeah. ask. That, that is now the full lineup. Is that is that going to be a recording lineup, or are you just going to still yeah. keep it between you two as the 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 main recording and writing artists, and the others are just like live members? Um, bit of a mixture. I think we will always be, I guess, the driving force, but the other guys are fully fledged members they'll be on the the next release and they are will be part of the writing process as well i think there has to be some sort of controlling element in any band not in a negative way but in order to you know keep everything together and that's probably what we will do but the other guys will be just as much a part of it so and they are have been when we've been writing the new songs so it'll be great to have them on the next album is it different putting an album together being in a band together when you guys and correct me if i'm wrong you guys you guys are married aren't you yeah yeah yes yeah. so is it is it very different putting an album together when you guys are married and was there any challenges there or was it better it was uh, it was better great, it? it was yeah. easier because obviously we live together we spend all of our time together there was a lot of planning a lot of talking about it a lot of what do you think we should do here what can we do and it just get done there and then. We didn't need to meet up and talk about it or yeah. go down the studio together or because we could do everything instantly. So it made it the process a lot quicker, I would say. Yeah, no, we, we had the same goals. We knew we wanted the same thing from it. And that helps sometimes in a band. You've got people with a different opinion on things. You're always going to get that. But sometimes you have people with very conflicting ideas on how a particular song would go and we're on the same wavelength yeah and because so. obviously we're we're the same age as well so we would have got into metal pretty much at the same time we like the same bands yeah. we just had this like con we wanted to recreate the 90s sounds all over again and uh, because that's what we what we like when it comes to black metal we like old school so it's good to do that with someone that wants exactly what you do. Yeah. And because of our age and everything that we like, it was matching, then it was easier to put everything together, I would say. That's really cool. Something that um, we've covered. So um, on the podcast, we're doing a history of UK black metal. Uh, and Bathory is this kind of omnipresent force. She was on the first uh, Venom album because of that, Bathory became a band, and then that obviously massively inspired Cradle of Filth and Danny Filth, and you've kind of continued that on in the UK black metal scene. 
What and you've talked about like um, the influence of uh, '90s black metal as well. But what do you think to the current UK black metal scene? And do you guys fit into it, or do you see yourself as uh, as something different? I think what's what's kind of always been good about the UK scene is, unlike say Finland, Sweden, Norway, scenes that have a, a largely similar sound, for example. The UK doesn't have a sound, I don't think. I don't think there is a UK black metal sound. I don't think that exists. It, it, it's We have a very odd bunch of bands that all do something quite different. So by that sort of logic, no one really fits in, but yet we all fit in at the same time. So, you know, I don't. it's hard to bill up with a band that sound like us, mm. and it's been the same with any of the bands I've played in in the UK. It's always a mishmash of styles somehow held together via a fabric of black metal in the middle. But it's true, isn't it? it you is, know, you yeah. go to Reaper Fest, like you mentioned, and there's no two bands played that that had any real similarity to each other. But it's quite a close-knit scene, and everyone's more or less friends in the scene. Everyone knows everyone, so... It's, it is healthy, to be honest, yeah, to be involved also, with. And also when we did play at Reaper Fest, there was a guy that came up to me and said that when he was watching us, it was like being back in the 90s. Mm. And that was great because we have, we've never told anyone that what we've just said about both being fans of 90s black metal, but someone saying it means that what we're doing is actually worked. Yeah. Create the sound, create the imagery of the 90s black metal. I wonder if you could say a few words about the album artwork and the imagery that you've created there. It's it's quite an obvious choice of album cover um, and deliberately so. Um, everything about the band, the music is quite blatant. I don't like using the word generic because I think it's 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 a very negative way, but it's it's it 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 follows an existing pattern. Let's say, you know, you look at Transylvanian Hunger by Dark Throne; they created that. <laughs> exactly and a monochrome image and obviously countless bands have done that and we've come along and done exactly the same but i just think we somehow did it in our own way obviously with you on the front cover and just the, just the red theme it's it's simple and i think he didn't want to be anything more complicated than that it just needed to be something simple and Maybe obvious to some people, but that kind of worked for us as well. Yeah. And it's also whenever I see one of these covers, I always think, oh, it's another one of those again. But at the same time, I want to check you it out. You want to listen to it. Yeah. So maybe we came across <laughs> that way. <laughs> How do you want someone to feel at the end of the album once that last note hits and, you know, you get that kind of silence there unless Spotify goes straight into another playlist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, how do you want someone to feel at the end of the album? I know we hinted at this at the start, but I'd, I'd love to get a refresher on that. For me, it has kind of a sad ending, but it's 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 atmospheric in 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 a sense. Um, it's you know it's sorrowful, but it's also kind of quite triumphant because it does pick up towards the end of the album with the final lines being "I will rise again." So that's a key part of the album. The song is about her death, but at the end, it leads you to believe that it's not necessarily the end because of that lyric 
repeated at the end, I will rise again. You know, what does that tell you? That tells you there's more to come, basically. So I would hope it gives people that the feeling of in the story of her life and through life and death, but that they can anticipate something that's coming next, mm. basically. So it's kind of deliberate. I love it. What about yourself, Nina? I would say I would want people to feel hungry for more. <laughs> like that album is just the beginning of more to come. And, and when it's finished, you think, I want more now because that was interesting. I want more. That's definitely what we got. Um, Shrubs, before I ask about Taran, have you got any um, questions to uh, to slowly uh, bring this to a close? No, I, I, I was just looking on Bandcamp to see what merch was available. You've got nothing left anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially the long sleeve t-shirt. I, I, like, I really like that one. You've only got the small yeah. size. Yeah. No, no good for some of my size. I'm afraid it would look like a boob tube to me. <laughs> long sleeve <laughs> <laughs> Maybe there's, there's a merch idea. But no, any plans on getting more merch in at all? Yes, it's in motion. Yeah, cool. There will be more. And it won't just be the one thing, there will be several. Yeah, several every, items, yeah. things have sold quite quickly. So we will be bringing a new raft in, especially for the gigs that we've got coming up. So it's very important that we've got more merch. Let's go mm. into that. What are the current touring plans? So we're, we're relatively select on gigs. We don't want to saturate, you know, the scene. We don't want to play too much um, because then I think things lose their, you know, it, 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 it's less special then. But obviously we're open to anything really at the same time. But current touring schedules, we've got a couple of shows in November and one in January. So nothing much on the cards, mm -hmm. although they're all really good shows. But we are in talks with people to do some dates in Europe. So we want to focus our attention to things like that, you know, festivals, that kind of thing, rather than just circulating the UK, yeah. playing the same places yeah. 10 times a year, which is easily done. So, you know, obviously we want to play everywhere and we will, but it'll be, you know, it'll be select at the same time. Yeah, a lot of uh, our sort of merch sales and music sales have been from abroad. Netherlands, Germany, Norway, Norway, USA, Canada, yeah, USA, Taiwan, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, all sorts of strange places. Um, so it will be very good to physically get out there and play because these people are very, very dedicated and committed. And it's great to see that our little band from Darlington has reached so many places mm. in such a short time. Yeah, for those more thirsty for the uh, blood countess. Where is the best place to find out more for you guys? Um, let's go merch, let's go listening, let's go live. Yeah, so I mean, from a social perspective, obviously the Instagram and Facebook, I would say Instagram's probably, probably more the more favourable option, and, yeah. but everything is on both. Uh, all our music's on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify. And actually, it's on just it's on all sorts on iTunes. It's on most of the streaming platforms, and it's on YouTube too. So you wouldn't struggle to find it. 
and that that's that's about it isn't it we don't sort of cover anywhere else i don't think there's, uh, nothing, there's no need to in my no, opinion obviously our uh, label as german is a dominance yeah. of darkness so we've got a strong link in germany as well okay and um, all these links will be in the show notes as well so um yeah. shrubs have you got anything you'd like to finish on no because i think we've covered all the touring plans because that was my next lot of questions anyway the only <laughs> yeah. other thing is for you steve as well because old corpse road and and bands like that they're they're playing shows as well so does it does it make it difficult for you to uh, schedule shows in when you've got multiple bands that might be playing shows but how about doing multiple sets at festivals well well this is this is something that's happened um i did two sets in wakefield i would have been doing two sets in cumbria but um we had to we had to change that one so it will happen and in fact eradication festival in cardiff coming up in november i'll be doing two sets there as well but there's a bonus to it in that if i can get both bands on that lineup for the day then yeah. i get to expose both bands to that crowd but obviously the downside is it's a bit more work for me and uh, <laughs> you know, a bit more stress but I enjoy you doing it. You've got to stay sober for longer to play. The yeah, set. yeah, that's it. Yeah, but I enjoy <laughs> doing it. So you know, yeah, you seem like you've so got broad good. shoulders. So I'm, I, I think you can handle this. So, yeah, it's good, man. Um, anyway, guys, um, I, I think that that kind of brings us to a natural conclusion to the podcast. So, um, thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've learned lots from this conversation it's always really cool to see the perspective of the band behind the album and uh yeah i think that 90s sound like really really rings true and it's one of my favorite albums of the year so far so we'll see where it makes the top 10 it will mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely loved it um so yeah thank you so much for joining us guys well thank you very much really thank appreciate you. it